0: Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come like a mighty rushing wind. Come like the dew at Mount Hermon. Come like the oil that runs down the beard of Aaron. Come and fill our hearts, Lord. Comfort us where we may be scared or nervous. Um, Open our hearts and our minds and especially our eyes. Lord, we want to see you like the man born blind. We want to see you, Lord, and hear you so that we proclaim you are the Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Well, good morning, Prince George Winyon. I was thinking as I prepared for this sermon that um, I couldn't even get started without mentioning what's going on in our culture and in our society and around the world today. And that is we are battling a virus that we have never seen before or dealt with before. And... Uh, Country after country, government after government is doing everything it can to try to contain this deadly virus. And so that's the reason we're filming this in advance so that it can be broadcast to people's homes. Uh, We're taking precautions to try to stay healthy. We're doing everything we can to try to keep one another healthy. We're, I would say, at the top or the height of our physical awareness for what it means to be healthy. Some of us are probably checking our temperature too regularly, or some of us, every time we get a scratchy throat or watery eyes, are thinking, maybe I've got it now. And so we're on kind of high alert in our society as we think about our physical health. Well, the readings for this morning, I believe, point us in an entirely different direction, but they are about health, not about our physical health, but about our spiritual health. And I think it's fitting, especially fitting, as Danny read Psalm 23 this morning, which is where I'm going to end, that we think about what it means to have a spiritually healthy heart and a spiritually healthy set of eyes. One of the things we need to keep in mind as we think about eyes and we think about the way we see things is how does the Lord see things? In our Samuel reading from this morning, uh, chapter 16 Uh, Verse 6 or verse 7, excuse me, what we hear is, for the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. So in the midst of this viral outbreak, I want us all to just take a few minutes this morning to consider how is our spiritual health? How how are the eyes of our heart, as we sing sometimes in that famous renewal song, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord? How are the eyes of our heart? Are they they clear? Are we seeing the way God wants us to see, which Mike Lumpkin would often talk about, up and out, the image he would give. Uh, Looking up and looking out uh, is the image that Mike uses often to talk about the way Christians should see the world. Always looking up to the Lord for guidance, direction, and purpose, and then always looking outward at our fellow men and women. Are our eyes like that? Are our eyes unobstructed? Or are we blind? Are we spiritually blind? Are our eyes constantly turning inward? Are they constantly looking at things that distract, things that pull us in a negative direction, things that uh, remind us of past failures or past guilts? Is that, is that the way our eyes and our hearts seem to be operating? Well, into that thought, the gospel comes this morning. And in this gospel, what Jesus does, like he does so many times, is he takes a physical circumstance, which for us humans, especially as the coronavirus is threatening us, it's on our minds. We're talking to our friends. We're texting. We're emailing. All we're thinking about is this physical problem, this virus. Jesus takes that physical problem of the man's blindness and says, Yes, to be blind is a horrible thing. But to be blind to me is worse than that. It's far worse for you to be blind to the truth of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ than it is to be physically blind, he says. It's far worse to have the the blindness, the spiritual blindness, than it is to get the coronavirus, in other words, as hard as that is to believe. But as we run around these days worrying about it, Jesus stands here this morning and says, wait, 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 let me tell you about something that's even more important, that's even, that's even more, um, I'm screwing up, more important. We'll just stop there. I hope you can edit that. Because what Jesus does is he takes this physical problem, he heals it, and then like I said earlier, he turns it into a lesson about a spiritual problem. Let me just say a couple things to put the gospel in context. And then I'm going to close, like I said earlier, looking at Psalm 23. Because I think that that psalm gives us a clear picture of the way the eyes of our heart should be working. The Jews of the time believed, rightly so, not rightly so, but edit that out. The Jews of the time believed that um, a person's physical ailment or a disease was a result of sin. And so the question they ask is not one that's outside the bounds of propriety. That was the common thought of the time that sin made itself manifest in the diseases and ailments of the people that walked around. Lepers, somebody had done something wrong in their family or they had, and hence they had leprosy. The same with this blind man. So that's why that question was asked to Jesus. Why was this man born blind? Did his parents sin? So that's not unusual. But what Jesus says is, again, like last week, not the answer to their question. He doesn't say, oh, he's not born, he wasn't born blind because someone sinned. And then what I would expect him to do is say, if that was the case, everybody would be born blind. You know, John, excuse me, Paul says later that um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I'm sure Jesus would probably like to have said, or maybe he could have said, you know what, if that was the case, everybody in the world would be born blind but he doesn't go in that direction he goes right to what's the most important thing and that is glorifying the father he says uh, this man neither this man sin nor his parents but the works of god must be displayed in him one of the interesting ways to look at the problems that come our way in life and we all suffer one of my favorite books is by an author named victor frankl and it's called the meaning of life and it's um A book about his time in the concentration camp and suffering and he ended up developing a a whole philosophy um, based on this experience and based on his degrees that he accumulated and his the basic point that he makes is you can't understand life without suffering that none of us will escape suffering scripture says rain falls on the just and the unjust so Jesus says By kind of just pushing the question aside, that's a dumb question is what I would would imagine Jesus thinking, but he would never say. But he says, let me tell you what's really going on here. This man was born blind for this moment so that God could be glorified. And then he goes on to heal this man. And then we have the rest of the story where we hear the dialogue between this man and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. The people, of course, who thought they were not sinning, who certainly thought they were not blind and this man who now has had his eyes restored perfectly. It should remind us a little bit, and I believe it's in our lectionary this way, of the woman at the well we heard last week. She goes into the same kind of conversation with Jesus, asking him a series of questions that eventually bring her to a place of confessing that he is the Messiah. We have that same kind of confession this morning from the man born blind. What Jesus basically is saying in this gospel is there are essentially two types of blindness. And for this morning's, short sermon, I'm going to call one nearsighted and one short-sighted. And nearsighted and short-sighted blindness, I believe, still exists today. There's still a problem for us and for uh, the whole church. Um, spiritual nearsightedness looks like someone who's always looking backward, someone who's always relying on past performance or past Uh, They're they're, they're relying on their family's name, much like the Pharisees who come to Jesus or who speak to the man about how they are sons of Moses. Uh, People who are nearsighted um, are always blaming others. People who are nearsighted are always focused on the outside, just like we heard in our Samuel reading. And they're finally always looking inward. When they think, for instance, about the coronavirus, the first thing they think is, well, how will this affect me? rather than the prayer that we did this evening, how is this going to affect everyone else? That's what I would call spiritual nearsightedness. Spiritual farsightedness is what I think grips a lot of our culture today. Spiritual farsightedness looks and acts like the future will never come, and when it comes, it won't matter. It's that line from Shakespeare, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's let's have the, the best time we can right at this moment, regardless of what it costs us or costs others, And we're not going to worry about the future because we don't believe there really is a future outside of what we're experiencing today. That's what I would call spiritual farsightedness. Well, to close, I believe Scripture gives us a great example of the sign of a person who has a healthy heart and healthy spiritual vision, and it's found in Psalm 23. So if you're at home now, I'd like for you to turn either in your Bible or in your prayer book to Psalm 23 and and allow me to go through this making just a couple points. Psalm 23, the heading in my Bible, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That is crystal clear vision at its best. The author David sees the Lord as the tender, the person who takes care of him, the person who guides him, the person who leads him, the person who brings him from rest to rest. The Lord is my shepherd, crystal clear vision. When we see God like that, when we imagine that God is our shepherd and that he leads us and he guides us, we can be generous people. We can can take the things that we've been given, we see them coming from God, and we can easily distribute them to anybody who needs them, whether it's money, time, or talent. Crystal clear vision. Number verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. In other words, he takes me and guides me. Psalm 25, 3 says, Lord, teach me your ways and show me your paths. God is the driver. God is the initiator. God is the person that we keep our eyes on and we walk behind God fearing nothing. Verse 3, this is beautiful. He shall refresh my soul. Not deep sea fishing, which I love. Not golfing. not, um, Not even the greatest of family dinners. Not, not the greatest holiday moment. What David is claiming here is that the thing that restores me, the thing that gives me life, is God himself. That's crystal clear vision. He brings me forth in the path of righteousness for his sake. In other words, the only good that I do, David is saying, is I do because I am following God. I don't do anything good on my own. I only do good because I can see God and follow him. Verse four, which is where we find ourselves today. Even though we all walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because we know that to die is not the worst thing. To die without seeing Jesus for who he is is far worse. David has that kind of relationship. He he claims, for you are with me. David knows that God is with him every step of the way. He knows he leads him. He knows he guides him. He knows he lies him down and raises him up. Your rod and your staff comfort me. This shepherd has power. And this shepherd uses his power with his beloved in careful and considerate and loving ways. The rod and the staff for the follower of God, the person that sees Jesus for who he is, is not a condemning rod. Jesus is not standing there shaking his finger at us. With all the power in the universe, Jesus came to save us. So his rod and his staff comforts the believer. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup shall be full. Eating, drinking, laughing, enjoying life in the face of adversity. Not foolhardiness, not foolhardiness at all. It's, it's, the, it's the house that I got to go to the other night. A, a woman had lost her father, a, 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 an important man in the community of Georgetown. And I got invited, thankfully, back to her home. And uh, when I got there, the Lumpkins were there and uh, the husband and wife were there, and their children were there, and we sat around the table and enjoyed all the wonderful food that Prince George Winyaw had provided, and the Baptist Church, and we ate, and we drank, and we laughed, and they told stories about their beloved father who had died. Even in the midst of trouble, these people and I experienced an anointing, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit over that dinner table. That's exactly what David is saying. And then finally, surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in your house or the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, that's the spiritual health. That's the description of spiritual health that the Lord wants us, I'm certain, to keep in the forefront of our minds as we move through these next weeks or two. So remember, are we looking upward and outward, or are we looking inward and backward? And my prayer is that we all become people with 2020 spiritual vision. Amen.